Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to episode 10 of Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth. We are back today to talk about the top seven things that you can be doing in your financial plan right now. Uh, Last time, if you didn't catch episode nine, tune in. We talked about the top seven things that you can be doing in your investment portfolio. Uh, So super relevant stuff like tax loss harvesting um, uh, and a number of other items. So I won't spoil it for you. Tune in if you haven't listened. Uh, today, as promised, we're back to talk about top things to do in your financial plan. So, uh, before we kick it off, how, uh, how are things in your world on the investment side? Things are going pretty good. And, you know, call back to that last episode. Thanks, Chris. I think that that was the most response I got from listeners and viewers. Um, I don't know about you, but we, we hash out some ever present or time timely and timeless information that should apply to a lot of good years and bad years. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this year is a bad year, but we, we are able to take advantage of down markets by tax loss harvesting and we do it all year and we just finished another successful round. Mm. And even though we harvested, we kept our clients, um, invested where they were, they benefited from the bounce back from October and in November. And it's been a pretty good quarter so far in terms of market performance. Um, if you read the headlines and everything else, it, you don't get a lot of uh, go-aheads or green lights for the markets. And the market doesn't need that. And I think we should prove that over and over where good markets will show up uh, when we least expect it, right? Uh, CPI came in um, a lot better than people expected. And, you know, we had one of the 14 best market days in stock market history on that day. So if you miss it, you know, how do you make that up? Mm-hmm. Right. Now that everyone else is in, invested, if you're, you're, if you're comparing yourself to other benchmarks, like the index. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've talked about this in prior episodes on the importance of staying in, cause you got to be in for those days that, yes. that day I, I posted on LinkedIn that day quite possibly created half or more than half of the return that you'll generate uh over the next decade plus because you're able to get that day uh seems uh almost unbelievable that a single day can generate so much return but it really really matters to be in for all of the the volatility both on the upside and the downside yeah yeah we practice what we preach a lot of those those tips so to speak that we gave on the last episode we, we use those in practice. So mm-hmm. we're showing the listeners how the sausage is made and we're not doing anything extra or cute about those topics. Right. And it's boring and it should be boring because this is, uh, I think the, the most exciting investments lately have been complete failures and blowups recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, nice work on your end. You too. Thanks for moderating for me and teaming me up. Uh, and now the, the tables have turned today. 
uh, today we're going to go into uh, Chris's realm, which is financial planning. And I know there's a, there's, they're close cousins of investments, but financial planning is more broad. And from my point of view, actually more important than the investment side, because you can't really or shouldn't really invest without a plan. And I think this is uh, Chris's realm, and I'm sure we're going to get a ton of uh, response, more so than the last episode. So I'm really excited for this. So we have seven things, seven and a half things, I guess, seven point one things. Seven to... plus a bonus spoiler at the end, but <laughs> we'll, we'll go seven with the headline. Yeah, yeah. I think we had nine, eight, eight or nine things last time. Oh, seven, seven. things. Seven so as well. Very, yeah. Okay. So very balanced. So... Uh, what should you be doing with your financial planning right now? Um, and this is the close cousin of the investment side, but number one I have is review your 401k contribution. This applies to 403bs uh, and any other type of qualified um, employer contribution. Yeah, so let's dive into this. So um, something that we've been doing in our review meetings right now with clients is we'll have the client log into their portal. I'll just describe the Fidelity Net Benefits portal. Most of our clients have their 401ks there. Fidelity is the largest 401k provider. So uh, it's like eight or nine times out of 10, they're probably your servicer. Um, if not, you might have Vanguard, uh, but most of the big tech clients that we work with are all at Fidelity. So. Um, the thing that we want you to check here before uh, the year is over is how much have you contributed to your 401k for the first part of the year? And do you have more room to contribute uh, so that you can max out before the end of the year? Um, you may have set your contributions low in January and just haven't checked them yet. Um, you may have already maxed out uh, if, say, you're at Microsoft and your cash bonus came through in September and that you know kicked in and fully maxed out your plan. But it's just something that we want you to check out now. This is particularly a good year to look at that because if there's any room in your 401k, even if, it, if it's $1,000 or, or less or even a little bit more, we love buying the market when it's uh, uh, lower than it was. Besides so, buying low, what, what's the benefit to taxes or whatever by maxing out their 401ks? Yeah, so um, there's two ways broadly to fund a 401k. You can fund a 401k on a pre-tax basis or on a Roth basis. Uh, pre-tax basis, uh, if you're under the age of, or if you're 49 or under, uh, you can put in this year $20,500 to the pre-tax or the Roth side. Um, you can split that. So you might do you know, 10 and, and, and 10,500 or whatever split you wanna make, but the 20,500 goes into one of those buckets. Pre-tax deducts directly off the top of your income. Roth is not deductible, uh, but then grows totally tax-free. Uh, Pre-tax, as it grows, when you later take it out in retirement, you'll then pay tax on those distributions. So a couple of added benefits there, or added things are, uh, if you anticipate a lower tax year this year, might actually be a good idea to shift over to Roth. Uh, I'll relate to this a little bit later when we talk about company stock, but many of our clients have uh, a lot of their compensation by way of their stock. And uh, it's no secret that big tech is well off their highs this year. So if you're looking at a, a, a potentially a six-figure drop in your income this year, um, you might actually consider taking advantage of that and going towards your Roth 401k. Why? A year that you're in a lower tax bracket, after-tax dollars are cheaper 
because you're paying less, ta less tax on every single dollar you earn. So it's a little bit of arbitrage on, hey, if I'm going to lower tax here and I can get it into an account that grows totally tax-free forever and buy in at a 15 or 20% discount on the market, that's a, that's a double whammy. That's a win-win. And what about the, how would you respond, Chris, about someone who says, well, I'm, I don't know what my tax rate is going to be when I'm older and retired, and there's no guarantee I'm going to be in the higher tax bracket that I am today. How do you respond to that? Yeah, this is a little bit of the financial planning, uh, sort of the, the, the dance or the art that we try to look at in, in our planning tools. Um, taxes are uncertain. It, it is relatively certain that if you have a very high income today and you don't consume a lot of it, it's relatively certain that in retirement you will be spending in a lower tax bracket than you are earning today. Um, so there's an element of, hey, I should go pre-tax today to get myself a deduction in, say, the 37% highest tax bracket because there's no way I'm going to be spending in that tax bracket later. Because remember, in retirement, you're only taxed on what you take out of your accounts. So it's going to be Social Security, you know, 401k withdrawals, maybe capital gains. Um, however, if you are uh, have a good runway between now and retirement, so you're younger, Roth could still make good sense because of the years of compounding. Uh, one of the downsides to a pre-tax 401k is when you, when you put a dollar in a pre-tax 401k, uh, you also have a little backpack on that dollar, which is the IRS. And that dollar grows and grows in compounds and the market does its thing. And then when you take out that dollar, which is maybe in retirement worth two or four or $8 of, of the f first dollar that you put in, every single penny is taxed on the way out. Um, on the planning side, we strive to have a bit of both. We believe in tax diversification so that you can be in control on these kind of hypothetical spigots, if you will. Hey, I want to take this amount of money out of my pre-tax account, this amount of money out of my Roth, this amount in capital gains. Um, something that we like to think about well, well in advance is your Medicare uh, premiums are actually dictated based on how much income you show in retirement. And if we can keep you below the initial phase out limit, which is roughly 200,000 of taxable income, you won't pay Medicare surcharges. So if you are essentially backed up against an IRS wall and all of your money is in a pre-tax account, and in that year you needed a new car, a new roof, and one of your kids got married and you decided to, to gift them some money, and you had a big withdrawal out of your 401k or IRA, you're going to show a lot of taxable income that year. And so again, if you have tax diversification, we can say, all right, I'm only going to take this amount of money out of my 401k IRA, and then I'm going to take the rest out of my Roth because that's tax-free, you show less taxable income, you have sort of the trickle-down effect of the benefits of that. Yeah, I'm stealing this phrase from someone, I can't remember who it is, who said it. Um, I'd rather be taxed on the seeds than the be taxed, yeah, than taxed on the harvest. Yeah, And yeah. the longer the seeds grow, uh, the, the bigger the harvest should be. Mm -hmm. So, but again, we, we always talk about investors if we don't know. Chris is saying the same thing about where you place your money in which vehicles, because yep. you don't know. None of us know. So there's also the after-tax 401k. Uh, if you're at Microsoft or Google or Meta, all of these are the same because all of your 
401ks are structured with the same match. So you max out at the 20,500 if you're 49 years old or younger. Uh, all of those companies match 50%, so that's 10,250. And then you have the after-tax 401k bucket, which is an additional $30,250 that you can get in. Um, the grand total of all of that is 61,000. That's the actual total amount of money that can go into a 401k. So that after-tax piece is something that you wanna uh, audit during this time. Maybe you fully maxed out your pre-tax, say you're at Microsoft, your bonus hit, you maxed it out, but you might still have a good amount of room in that after-tax benefit. And if you can crank up your contributions to I don't know, 50% of pay for the next few paychecks, you might have the opportunity to, to, to max out the plan before the year end. How do you do this? Um, go into Fidelity Net Benefits, find statements on your 401k and run a year-to-date statement. This is the easiest way to do it. Scroll down, you'll find under your contribution summary, you're gonna see pre-tax, Roth, after-tax, company match. And uh, if you see the numbers that I said earlier, so 20,500, in pre-tax or Roth or a combination of the two, 10,250 in match, and then 30,250 in after-tax, um, you're, you're fully maxed out. Uh, you'll be able to see how much room you have left um, uh, in, in that account on that statement, in that piece of that account, whether it's pre-tax or after-tax. If you're over 50, you can add an extra $6,500 to the pre-tax or Roth uh, balance. So that now goes from 20,500 to 27,000. Uh, last place to check, if you want to be double checking all this math to check out, you can simply pull up a year-to-date pay stub. Year-to-date pay stub also will show how much went into your 401k uh, as well. So that's the big thing to, to check to make sure that you're maxed out. Go in and adjust your contributions. Set a reminder if you cranked it to like 50% to make a change in January so that you don't get surprised with that first check in January. What about if your company doesn't offer... Uh a Roth 401k option, what are the limitations of going through a Roth contribution outside of that? Uh, so we will touch on a backdoor Roths a little bit later. So okay. let's, so let's come we're, back gotcha. to that. Yeah. Um, okay. but again, if you work for big tech, as most of our clients do, um, you'll have this option. If you work for a, a tech startup, you often have a Roth option, but you might not have the after tax option. Um, and that's beyond the scope of today's discussion on why, uh, but you generally, most 401ks these, these days do in fact have the pre and the Roth option. All right. Well, sorry for the spoiler, everyone. Oh, I love it. That's great. All right. We got good stuff coming. <laughs> that's number six. So, uh, next one, five, two, nine planning. I know we've had our own personal discussions about this, but, um, this is a nice broad topic for school funding, especially with the uh, news in, you know, student loan forgiveness uh, doesn't look like it's it's going to be a smooth process. So I think planning ahead is going to be important here. Thanks for that. I'm happy to report to everybody that my son's 529 plan is finally positive in terms of its rate of return. So, yay, I kept putting money in as markets kept falling. And uh, my initial deposit is not positive, but the whole account as a whole is actually positive now. So, yay. That's funny <laughs> when you feel worst about investing because things aren't feeling so great those are typically the best results anyway yep because you're yep. buying low exactly okay 529 plans this is a little bit related to roth so 529 plans you contribute to on an after-tax basis uh if you live in washington state uh we don't have a state income tax so there is no deductions 
um, against your contributions. Uh, California is the same. There are some states um, that do allow for uh, state income tax deductions on your 529 contributions. If you're curious, highly Googleable, Google your state and 529 deduction, uh, and you'll figure it out. Uh, we have clients in certain states that, that do allow for this. But let me just focus on, on Washington and California as that's the, the largest, uh, our, our listenership is predominantly in those two states as our clients are predominantly in those two states. Okay, 529 funding, it's an after-tax account. So see above what I said about Roth and after-tax dollars, we love funding after-tax accounts uh, in A, a lower tax year if you happen to have one because the dollars that you made in a lower tax year are taxed less, therefore it's cheaper to put money into the 529. And while markets are down, which can we know if we're well diversified, things will recover eventually, we love funding fund 529 plans. Um, so take a look at you at your plans. If you haven't done anything yet this year or you've done just a monthly contribution, um, see if, you've, if you can do a little bit more. Um, we love topping up plans right now. Um, the last item that I would say on, on 529s, we talked about this a bit on a prior podcast, uh, gifting limits are 16,000 per person. So, uh, for, I'll skip myself as an example. So the max that I can put in our son's 529 is 16,000. My wife can also put 16,000 into his plan. So 32,000, um, 529 plans also allow for a special five-year advance gifting. So we can each put 16,000 in for five years, um, which ends up being 32,000 times five. And then we just can't contribute for the next uh, five years. We've essentially maxed it out. Um, if you go over 16,000 in a contribution, technically you need to file form 709 on your tax return. All that's doing is it's saying you're uh, electing to gift split or spread these gifts out over that five-year period. In the case of 529s, you won't be taxed on these contributions or have to pay any gift tax. It's just in the event of an audit many, many years from now, you're going to want to make sure that you have that form on file to prove to the IRS that, that you did the right thing. Well, what if your, your son, he's less than a year old at this point. What if your son says, Dad's, I'm 16 years old. I could create my own business. I don't need college for this. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. So if there's extra money in a 529, whether it's a few years of college and extra money or, Unused. Um, or not attending yeah. at all, um, you can use up to $10,000 per year for K through 12 school. So let's say that your child is in a private school. Um, you can use up to $10,000 a year to pay for that. Um, if you're curious on what other services and things you can, you can, uh, use that 10,000 for just again, throw it into Google. Uh, and there's a, a list of things. Um, if let's say that after all of that, you still have, uh, oh, and by the way, we don't love putting money in a 529 plan only to spend it on private school, say the next year, the magic in a 529 is like a compounding. Roth where you're growing and compounding yeah. and letting the money bake in there for a number of years. Um, so I would say that's really a last resort plan on this being college funds or maybe the last few years of high school. If you decide, well, I've saved in this 10 years prior and we have way too much. Um, did you guys get a you... dog? Nope. Sorry. It's across the street. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, if, if you have extra money in the 529 plan, you can take it out. Uh, you will pay a penalty on it, 
So you'll pay a 10% penalty on the gains plus taxes on the gains. On the gains, not the contributions. That's Correct. Yep. 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 So that's nice. You can also change the beneficiary. So to your second kid or to yourself or to, uh, you know, another family member that can also use the plan. All right. So the next topic will be probably this one hits close to home for a lot of us. Uh, do you own a stock or fund that's done much better than the market this year? Um, I guess the the topic should be question. Do you own a stock or a fund that's done much worse than the market this year? And maybe you could tackle both. Yeah. So if you own a stock that's done much better than the market this year uh, or better than your diversified portfolio, the opportunity is potentially to sell high and reinvest low. Um, that's a good thing. So, you know, there's a number of stocks that have, have done better than the market. Maybe you happen to work for one of those companies. Awesome. Um, and so simply it's an opportunity to diversify. I know that what you're thinking, you're thinking, why would I sell the thing that's done well? The only thing that's done well in my portfolio and go buy something that hasn't done well. Yeah. But think about it from a financial planning standpoint, a logic standpoint. Um, and likely that's just an opportunity for almost arbitrage on selling high and buying low. Um, if you own a stock that's done worse than the market this year, we talked about this a little bit last time. So tune back into episode nine on, hey, if you have some losers in your portfolio that you're like, yes. this thing's not coming back, maybe it's an opportunity to sell it, take the loss, reinvest in a diversified way, which in our view has a high probability of returning with the rest of the market. Um, it's a good opportunity to just lock in the loss. And again, see in episode nine, tax loss harvesting. Yeah, and we, we also don't recommend more than 10% concentration. I know sometimes you can't help it with like the vesting schedule because you're going to be tied to it for, let's say, five years, and it's building mm -hmm. the whole time. Uh, that all falls back on having a proper plan, too. Exactly. Yeah. All, of that, all, all of that yield is the answers to that is derived from your financial plan. If you yeah. have more than 10% of a concentrated asset, you know, can your plan take that? Um, and, you know, we constantly run that for clients and, uh, you know, we actually would run these stress test scenarios for what if your concentrated position goes down by half or goes away completely. Um, we call this the excess model as one of our screens in the excess model, which is something that we've developed over the yep. years. I love that. And, uh, we never really thought that it would do it. And uh, I think when we were running this, you know, a year ago, people were like, Hey, it'll never do that. And here we are. Yeah, you know these stocks are down fifty percent or more, so it's it's good that we've modeled and stress test the financial plan for that, because I think it brings logic to an otherwise emotional thing. You work for a company you love, and you get a lot of their stock. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And our next topic is one of my favorite investment vehicles. And that's the H HSA, the Health Savings Account. And have you maxed yours out for twenty twenty two? And you know to dive into a little bit of a personal. Thing that Chris helped me with was we had a surprise bill for one of my son's um, uh, therapy sessions. And, you know, that we thought we, we were covered by the, our medical insurance and it wasn't. So now we had a surprise bill that we have to take care of. And uh, Chris helped us walk through that. And that, and again, it, that going forward, I think HSA is going to be one of my favorite approaches to saving money. So HSAs are fantastic. This is another thing that you can check from your pay stub. So while you have your pay stub up from looking at your 401k, you can see how much money has gone into your HSA. Uh, many of these also at the, these, the, the big tech firms are, are also sitting in the Fidelity portal, although some of them are at other 
other companies. You'll know where it is based on your, um, your medical benefits, but uh, I would do a quick double check to see if you've maxed out this year or you will. If you haven't, HSAs are an account that you can do a lump sum into sort of right away, like on your next payroll deduction. Um, and uh, the max is, uh, I, I would just encourage people to Google it. It's, it's highly easy to find. That way I don't say something that's gonna be out of date in a month and a half in 2023. So just Google HSA max for either family or individual, depending on what you are. Um, for 2022. Uh, it's that number minus whatever your employer contributes is what you can put in. And the, there are, there are uh, calculators inside of your portal to be able to, to contribute the right amount and not go over. One other thing to make sure, and now's a good time to check this, make sure that it's invested. We are constantly finding- Too much cash. Yes, and we're constantly finding this missed. Uh, it's not overly obvious in HSA portals you're going to, you're going to contribute to funds and you're going to invest. You have to actually elect that 401ks, you contribute funds and you're automatically defaulted to a target fund. It's just kind of how it works. HSAs aren't automatically defaulted to invest the funds. You have to elect that and then it'll happen for you. Most of these plans require you to keep a minimum balance. Maybe it's a thousand dollars and then you can invest the amount above that. And the cool thing is, let's say that you had a thousand dollars of cash in there and you spent 500 your next couple of paycheck contributions will simply bring that cash balance back to that $1,000 buffer, and then the rest will continue to be invested. Um, if you need more than a thousand out of your HSA, you gotta go in and sell. Your debit card or however you're reimbursing yourself will not uh, go through because it's only allowed to spend the cash inside of there. Yeah, uh, that could be complicated time in the market on when your medical expenses might be due. Yeah. But the beauty about this is you can pay yourself back years and years down the road. So if you do have a big expense that you just cash flow out of pocket, it doesn't have to come out of the HSA right away. And I think that's a big thing too. The big benefit of it is it can cover multiple years. We love that, right? Years. If I can yeah. get money into something and take a tax deduction today, I can invest. And then so long as it's used for medical expenses, it is tax free. That's triple tax advantage. And yes. this is the only account that does that. That's why the maximum is is fairly low. Um, and so take advantage of that. And to Howe's point, um, if you have reasonable medical expenses throughout the year, our general recommendation is don't use your HSA, pay cash, let, it grow. let the HSA yes. funds compound yeah. and grow. Just like Roth, if I can pay myself back later, which by the way, you can do, uh, let's say you had a $5,000 medical bill in 2022, you paid cash for it. You can pay yourself back in 2025 or 2026 refunding you the funds back out of your HSA uh, in this year. So I think that, that neighbor's dog doesn't like what you're saying, but I do. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see if we can get this edited out because this is, uh, hopefully this doesn't ruin our entire recording and we have to do this again. <laughs> All right, so Roth, Roth conversions, I know I spoiled it, but this kind of, these next two topics, Roth conversions and backdoor Roth contributions, and we'll spend quite a bit of time with this because it's been pretty valuable for our, for our clients. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Roth conversions. Um, if you have a pre-tax IRA, so this probably started, you had a, an old 401k from a prior employer, you rolled it over to an IRA. Um, you can do what's called a Roth conversion. A Roth conversion says, I wanna move this money that I previously deducted in my IRA over to Roth. And when you do that, uh, you will be taxed on the converted amount. So I want to be very clear, any amounts converted will add to your tax in, taxable income 
in the year you convert it. You're not required to convert an entire account. You can, you can convert a partial of an account and do this over multiple years. Example, you have $100,000 in an IRA. You don't have to convert all 100,000. You could convert 10 or 20 or 50. Why is this valuable? Two things that come to mind in 2022. Number one, you might be heavily compensated in stock. Again, see above, you might have a lower taxable income this year. Uh, what we like to run for clients is we look at your tax brackets and we see if you have room left in your next highest tax bracket. And let's say that you have $35,000 of room between right now and when you're going to bump up to the next tax bracket. Well, maybe it's a decent idea to convert $35,000 of your IRA to Roth because you can uh, pay a lower tax on that conversion this year, assuming that next year you make more money or you make what you made the prior year. Second benefit, markets are off. So take a look at your IRA balance. If you want to feel good about this, uh, uh, turning a negative into a positive glass half full, uh, take a look at your IRA balance on January 1st of this year and take a look at it now. And it's probably lower now and just focus on the amount that you could convert today. That would be at a discount, right? The balance today, uh, let's say you had a hundred thousand in the account, Jan one, you probably have 80, maybe 85,000 in the account today. So if we convert the 85,000 today, you're only paying tax on the converted amount. So again, a double whammy benefit of if markets are down, we can convert at a discount, get all those shares over to Roth, things recover all tax-free. And if you're in a lower income tax year, it's a decent idea to, to review that, uh, to, to take advantage of it. So are we transferring in kind, meaning let's say I hold the S&P 500, do I have to sell it or does it convert yeah, in you place? Don't you don't have to sell what you're holding. You can convert it or, or, or journal it, I guess might be the technical term there. Um, uh, either way, you're not taking any money out of the IRA. So there isn't any capital gains or, 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 or anything like that. Um, so you could simply just rebuy the S and P 500 in that account. If for some reason your custodian that you hold the account at doesn't allow you to just journal yeah. the same holding straight over to Roth. Um, Last thing that's important here, whatever tax you owe on the conversion, you have to pay cash for. You cannot, well, you can, but I'll tell you why you shouldn't. You cannot pay the tax out of the IRA. If you do that, it will actually constitute as a withdrawal from the yeah, IRA, 10%. which yeah. It, 10 yeah, bonus it, it hits you with a 10% penalty. So don't do it. So make sure that if you do a conversion, particularly a big one, that you're going to owe X dollars in tax on, yeah, make sure that you have, have the cash, cash and you're ready for it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, I know we I blended the two topics. Anything else on the conversion? Now we have the backdoor. I've got one yeah. other thing I want to throw in on Roth conversions. So remember how we talked about earlier the after-tax 401k? Um, the after-tax 401k, uh, many of you are familiar with the term mega backdoor Roth. That's yeah. the big thing inside of there. So you put money in the after-tax 401k. It converts over to the Roth side of the, the 401k. Uh, that's a tax-free conversion or very close to it because uh, in the case of, say, Fidelity, you elected to convert my after-tax to Roth immediately. It's a daily sweep, and it happens before there's any gain. So that's tax-free. What happens when if you don't convert it and yep. you leave it in the after-tax for one? So if you don't convert it and you leave it in the after-tax, uh, your growth will be taxable later. 
the basis, whatever you contribute, it's, it's 30,000 and it grew to 60,000. So the 30,000 comes out tax free and the 60,000 you would pay tax on. Um, the way that it works, let's imagine that's all of your IRA money. It's kind of like you reach in the side of the bucket and pull money out. So 50 mm -hmm. cents of each dollar would be taxed and 50 cents would be taxable. You can't just choose to take your basis out tax free and then defer your gains till later. Um, so that, that's, that's how that works from a tax standpoint. That's an uh, important distinction. A very small administrative oversight can yeah. cost you a ton of taxes down the road. Make sure everything is swept over to the Roth coverage or shelter, right? And when you're in there looking at your, you're auditing your accounts to make sure that you maxed out, as we talked about earlier, make sure that your after-tax balance is zero. So where you'll get into trouble here is you may have started contributing to the after-tax, but then you didn't enroll in the in-plan Roth conversion, that little drop-down menu, until a couple of pay periods later. Once you enroll in that, moving forward, it'll do the conversion. But anything that you had in there before, it won't. And so you might have two, three, five thousand dollars or more sitting in there if you've been doing this for years and haven't done the conversion. Uh, you have to call your provider, in this case, call Fidelity in my example, and do the conversion. Uh, super, super, super important. Make sure the person you're talking to knows what you're talking about because you only want to convert the after tax, which Not the only thing, the yeah. gain, yeah. if you have a gain, you'll pay tax on. Again, basis won't be taxed, uh, the gain. Uh, will be taxed just like a Roth conversion. Um, why I say make sure they know what you're talking about is they might want to convert your employer match or your pre-tax funds, which every single dollar would be taxable. So just make sure it is the after-tax balance, which is probably small. Um, we often catch this. It's kind of just an administrative thing that there's a few grand in there and, and you're going to want to convert it over. So make sure to take a look at that um, when you're auditing your 401k, as I said earlier. Great information and important distinctions. So, so yeah, don't miss that. Um, the next one is the backdoor Roth IRA contribution that we spoiled slightly. Um, have you completed it? And there's limits to this. Yeah. So backdoor Roth IRA contribution. So there's a couple of things here. Um, first thing is you can't have another IRA. So you can have 401k money, but you can't have another uh, pre-tax IRA, I should say. Um, the, the reason is the IRS will aggregate these two accounts together and essentially they force you to pay tax on the, uh, converted IRA, uh, before you can do the tax-free backdoor conversion. Let me back up a little bit and say that again, so that I, I, I kind of clear up the steps. Let's imagine that you have $0 in an IRA balance. Uh, anybody at any income limit can open up an IRA and can fund that IRA. And if you're under the age of, of if you're 49 and under, you can put $6,000 in that IRA. If you're 50 and over, it's $7,000. Um, so anybody at any income limit uh, or income level can put the $6,000 into an IRA. Uh, the income limits are just on the deductibility of that $6,000. So forgetting about that for a minute, again, anybody at any income limit, you can make $2 million a year and still put $6,000 in an IRA. Also, anybody at any income limit can perform a Roth conversion, as we mentioned earlier. Um, the limitations are you can't at any income level just put money in a Roth IRA. Uh, it's about $200,000 a year. If you're roughly 200,000 and below married filing jointly, 
you can fund a Roth IRA directly. If you're above that, uh, you cannot. And so this is the backdoor Roth because again, anybody at any income can fund a regular IRA. Anybody at any income can perform a Roth conversion. When you do it this way, because you funded the IRA with after-tax money, that conversion of that $6,000 is not taxable. Just like the mega backdoor Roth, which is that after-tax converting over to the Roth side of your 401k. Does that make sense, Hal? I think so. And if it didn't make sense to you, hit the back button a few seconds. I think the explanation is clear, will become clearer uh, once you kind of go through this, but um, it's a complicated loophole in the tax system. And yeah, yeah, it's uh, so if, if I asked you to repeat it, it would come out the same. So that's why I'm saying, hey, everyone, just back it up, <laughs> back it up a few ticks on the um, on your Spotify or Apple podcast, wherever you get this. The um, the key that I want to land here is that you have to have a zero IRA balance um, when you file your taxes or when your CPA files your taxes. Um, when you perform one of these, it's going to say, do you have an IRA balance as of 1231 of this year? And if you say yes, um, uh, the IRS comes up with a percentage uh, and they essentially, again, require you to pay tax on the conversion first. So I just want to be clear, this works best when there's no IRA balance because there's no tax on it. It's very simple. But if you have, say, 100000 or $500,000 or $10,000 in an IRA, um, the IRS is going to essentially want you to convert that first and pay tax on it before you can perform this on mm -hmm. a tax-free basis. That's the nuance. But if you don't have an IRA balance, you can do it. Yep. Great, great info on Ross. Um, next topic. Do you have options in your company? That's uh, uh, ESOPs, RSUs, you name it. And yeah. that you that you should exercise due to a lower taxable income. I know okay, this so is kind of a pretty loaded subject here. Be super careful here. Yeah. yeah, be really, really, really careful here. So the, um, the advantage to this... Uh, oh, and on Roth, again, we like it when markets are lower. Same, same, see above topic of, of today. All of these are related to lower markets, maybe lower taxable income. We like doing it. Uh, okay, options. Be super careful here. Um, the benefit of exercising an option when the fair market value of your company is lower is that you'll have less taxable income. So let me give you an example. Let's say that the strike price on your company options, the strike price is the price you can purchase the stock at, is five bucks a share. And let's say that at the beginning of the year, your company was trading at $35 a share. So if you exercised your options, then you would have taxable income of $30 a share so between the $5 strike or purchase price and the fair market value times however many shares you exercise. It can get very expensive very quickly, adding a lot of income, which is a lot of extra tax that you have to have to pay. Let's say that today your stock has fallen to 15. Now, when you exercise, you only have $10 of taxable income on each share that you exercise. It's again, fair market value subtracted by the strike or the purchase price. The reason why I say be very, very careful here is the allure of tax benefits doesn't necessarily mean that your company is going to run right back to 30 or 35 bucks a share. One of the biggest benefits of options 
is that you're not committed until you're committed. And so an opportunity is you can commit to the stock now and save a bunch of money on taxes. But the issue is once you commit, you own the shares and you've put all the money in to buy it. And that company could just as easily continue to go the wrong direction on you or worse, go under, which happens. So, uh, again, be careful here, but, uh, just, you know, consider the, the, the risks of doing this and taking on, um, your shares and, and shelling out the money to buy them, um, contrast the potential tax savings with ultimately the risk, risk of yeah. the money co totally goes away. And I think that goes back to the, that concept of excess too. So, so that should always be well thought out and planned. So it's a good point. I was just having a conversation with a client yesterday, um, who is at a startup, um, considering leaving. And so there's some vested shares that are on the table and we're talking through the same exact topic. Um, and you know, it doesn't always make sense to buy your options. Um, and you don't have to buy all of them. You can buy a, a portion of them. Um, there's just risk associated with that. And coming back to excess, if your financial plan has extra money in it that you don't need in order to hit your objectives, now we can talk about what do we do with that money? And maybe one of those things is let's take some added risk because that risk of losing that purchase of those shares maybe doesn't negatively impact your plan, but the potential upside of that positively impacts your plan. So to how to your point, if we can answer this in the context of your financial plan, you can go into something like this where you're potentially spending a good chunk of money on shares that might not be worth anything, which doesn't make it feel any better if they're not worth anything later. But at least from a planning standpoint, you know that it doesn't yes. really derail things. Yeah. So we're, we're not negative ninnies, but we're just risk aware through everything. And our shoes are a part of that. They're part of your full financial picture. And yeah, sometimes they are a lottery ticket, not as bad odds, but sometimes they expire worthless. A little bit beyond the scope of this podcast, uh, there are two different types of options, non-qualified stock options and ISOs or incentive stock options. They are treated differently from a tax standpoint. So um, beyond the scope of, of today's podcast, maybe we'll do a separate episode on that. But um, overarching theme is maybe consider exercising, but be careful. Yes. Be very, very careful. Um, All right. In our last topic, I, I'm going to call this the plus one. We went through seven. And um, to be clear, if there's any confusion or anything that wasn't so clear, feel free to reach out to us or hit the back button and give it a second listen. Uh, we could use the, the listens. And if you were working for a startup right now, generally not yet profitable company, um, you know, we do recommend keeping a little bit more hay in the barn, keeping more, um, that, that more hay in the barn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the emergency <laughs> fund or, you know, more, more money in the war chest. Um, I think that goes for everyone in really any industry because th economically things are going pretty good right now, but I think I, I can't stress another time that we, that we kind of know of that we sh recommending caution in terms mm -hmm. of what the Fed's done, how the economy's been slowing. And, um, you know, we are in a downtrend, admittedly. And I think there's there's a time to be very, very careful. And I think that's one of those times. 
Uh, yeah, our thought here is it's no secret that companies are announcing layoffs. Likely, if you happen to be at a startup or a not profitable company, those companies are getting more pressure from the people, institutions, private equity firms, you name it, that are paying their bills. So that could ultimately impact you or anybody in the form of layoffs, cuts, whatever. Uh, and as we've seen in the recent weeks, big tech is also not immune to this. We've seen the, the biggest and most profitable firms also uh, announce layoffs. So our thought is just be a little bit more cautious at this time. Leave a little bit more money in the bank than you normally would just in case. Um, fortunately, you'll have a pretty decent uh, runway in terms of if you do get impacted by a layoff, it's not like your job ends that same day and there's no more compensation. Uh, generally these are structured to, uh, I guess I wouldn't say favor employees, but, um, at least provide, you know, a couple of months of income and that sort of thing. So it allows you to sort of adjust to it, but, um, it's just, you don't want to be impacted by a, whoa, I had a Twitter layoff and a meta layoff and both of our incomes just went in one, you know, in, in, in mm -hmm. one week. I mean, was that was when meta announced and Twitter announced, right? Um, and so just have a little bit more of a, a conservative outlook and keep a little bit more cash in the bank just in case. If nothing else, maybe it helps you sleep a little bit better at night until, you know, we can get through these these layoffs and, and things are starting to, to go the other direction in terms of hiring. Yeah, even Jeff Bezos said uh, if you're thinking about buying a car or a TV or a big purchase, delay that. And this is someone who would benefit from you spending more discretionary on Amazon, especially, right? Mm -hmm. So, so even when someone's benefiting from our spending, and he's saying pump the brakes a little bit, I think uh, I think we should, and I think that's great advice in this time. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. Uh, seven great tips plus one bonus tip. So uh, let us know your thoughts. Let us know if we miss anything. If you have any questions to House Point, hit rewind. We probably addressed it. But if we can be more clear in how uh, some of these things are explained, shoot us a note and we'll we'll jump in our next podcast and we'll re-explain something so it's clearer. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today to Episode 10. We'll see you again in two weeks. Mm -hmm.